want you to turn with me in your Bibles this morning, and I'm still in a barrel. Uh, turn with me in your Bibles to 1 Corinthians chapter 2. 1 Corinthians chapter 2, verse 9 is our jump-off point today. And our message today is a precursor, if I can use that word, uh, to next week. Both campuses we've been meeting with people. It's not good yet. <laughs> we'll get there. Uh, meeting with people, and, uh, and, and now we're going to get us ready through the Word, okay? You all ready? 1 Corinthians chapter 2, verse 9, some of you should know this by heart, but as it is written, how many of you know it's good that when God writes things down, that means He means it? As it is written, I has not seen, nor ear heard nor have entered into the heart of man the things which God has prepared for those who love Him. Let's pray. Holy Spirit, as You prepare both campuses today for our vision cast the next Sunday that will set the course, an exciting, incredible ride for the next three years and beyond. God, I'm asking for that voice, the second voice of the Holy Spirit, that people will not just hear me, but there will be something in what is said. They will hear the voice of the Spirit of God speaking to their heart today. God, I ask for the Caleb Spirit to arise in our midst right now. (laughs) I ask for a spirit of courage, God, to come into every heart and every life. In Jesus' name, amen. I want you to turn with me. That was our jump-off point. And I want you to turn with me to Exodus chapter 3. Brian is going to love this because he tried to preach my sermon last night at men's retreat. I almost got up and said, stop, or you'll be doing it tomorrow. (laughs) Exodus chapter 3. I want you to go with me to verse 8. Exodus chapter 3, verse 8. So I have come down to deliver them out of the hand of the Egyptians and to bring them up from a land to a good land and a large land, to a land flowing with milk and honey, to the place of the Canaanites and the Hittites and the Amorites and all the other ites. How many of you get tired of the ites? You know why the ites are in the Scripture? The ites are in the Scripture to remind you there's still somebody to take over. There's still somebody to conquer. Verse 9, Now, once you hear that word, now, therefore, behold, the cry of the children of Israel has come to me, and I have seen the oppression with which the Egyptians oppressed them. What a journey. And I want to help you understand the difference this morning as we get ready for vision. Vision is beyond your deliverance. Deliverance for the believer in the book of Exodus is the picture of us coming out of bondage and captivity into the promises of God. Now, How many of you know that God saved you not just to keep you where you're at right now. But God has something bigger and greater. As the guys learned this weekend, God has a purpose for your life. Now, in the, in the outset here, one of the things that can happen, how many of you remember that Moses had a burning bush experience? He, he, he was up in the wilderness one day and comes across this talking bush that was on fire. And... Uh, He's looking at this bush. It's not being consumed. And all of a sudden, God says, Moses, take off your shoes. You're on holy ground. And God begins to download to Moses the future plans that he had. How many of you think that would be a big experience? But here's the problem. There's a big difference between the experience and the carrying out of the plan of God. Unfortunately, the church today has focused only on experience and not carrying out the plan. And here's the cool thing. If you carry out the plan, there's more experiences. (laughs) 
Let me tell you something. You don't, you don't see miracles until you're in a place where you need miracles. I was even reading this morning, John chapter 2, Jesus is at a wedding just kicking back and a crisis occurred. Miracles only happen in crisis. And so between the experience and the fulfillment, there's a lot of room. And it can become confusing between the experience of God's promise being revealed and arriving at the point of destiny fulfillment for your life. What can await you on the other side of the Red Sea miracle is a wilderness which seems endless. How many of you understand what a wilderness is all about spiritually? God calls you to be alert because what He does in you and around you will be a new experience to you. How many of you know that we hang too much on what God did yesterday? And we hang close to that experience thinking that that experience will, will carry us. But the experience is nothing more than God's call to move farther into His plan. And the farther into His plan you go, the more you experience His heart. The more you experience His heart, the more you understand what it means to live and move and breathe in glory. And God has something for us that is way beyond any past experience that either campus has had. For us, for those on the south side, next Sunday is going to be a stirring for them because they kind of have been through it a little bit, are kind of veterans of this in a way because they know what it means to have to try to, to, to live with an absolutely raw outpouring of the Holy Spirit. There is a new experience coming to our church quickly. But it's not going to be based on an old burning bush. It's going to be based on the fact we're moving into the promises of God. And when you move into the promises of God, there's some Jerichos, there's some AIs, there's some things that you get to experience and get to overcome. And the greatest fulfillment in your life is to actually see God do something with your own two hands and see God create a miracle through your life and you can go, wow, I was at the bush, but man, beyond the bush was the wilderness but at the other side of the wilderness can you check out the promises of God something happens when we move from just looking to the experience to moving into the plan of God many people I know live at the bush and God has moved on can you imagine if Moses would have just stayed at the bush Israel would have never walked out of the land of Egypt There'd have been no Red Sea miracle. There'd been no manna, no cloud by day, no fire by night. There'd have been no Jordan crossing. There'd have been no water coming out of the rock. The miracles of even the wilderness were beyond their wildest dreams and their wildest imagination. And in Northside, I feel the Spirit of God is calling you. You who have hung in through thick and through thin and gone into the merge and now we have one church meeting on two campuses and God's about to do something new in our whole lives. The announcement next Sunday is going to be incredible. And here's the deal that God wants you to understand. Your experiences from the past were fine, but they were for a reason not to stay there, but to move into the promises of God. God doesn't want you staying at the bush. I love the glory of God more than anybody. I love the experience of God. I love when God speaks out of the fire, but God only speaks out of the fire when He has a plan for you to engage the enemy and to win. And so when we begin to get on the edge of a prearranged destiny, we need to understand that God wants to move us from the bush to the wilderness to the promises. Exodus chapter 3 verse 9. The Holy Spirit grabbed this in my heart and I want you to, I want you to hear it. God has told Moses, you're going to go into a... He just doesn't, he, God always describes things out of his heart. 
Verse 8, he says that it's a good land, it's a large land, it's a land flowing with milk and honey. And everybody that's hearing this word this morning, and this is the big thing that I want you to get into your little prophetic brains. God does not speak prophetically to you so you can sit there and go, wow, in 19 such and such, God gave me a word. Or in 2003, God gave me a word. Wasn't it a fabulous word? He gives you a word for you to get up off your blessed assurance and to move forward in him God says listen there's a land flowing with milk and honey it's it's a big land it's a good land it's a land that there's enemies in it but I got to tell you something I've seen the enemies and if I can conquer the Red Sea I can conquer the enemies and then he drops the bomb on them he says now therefore You've got to understand something. God is, God is a seasonal God. I'm learning this the older I get, that He says God is a season of God, a, a, a seasonal God. He says, Now therefore, behold, the cry of the children of Israel has come to me, and I've also seen the oppression from which the Egyptians oppressed them. You've got to understand where God's coming. Do you think that just then it was when God heard their cry? God had been hearing their cry for years. And here's, here's the thing you need to understand. Go to the next slide that says now. It says now faith is faith given to you for the season that you're in. They had been crying out to God in their oppression for over over uh, 400 years. 400 years. Here's the thing that people, especially those that have been introduced to the prophetic, don't get. And you're going to get it. (laughs) Abraham and Lot are standing one day looking at the valley below. On one side is Sodom and Gomorrah, and the Bible says it's a well-watered plain. It looked really good, and they're kind of hassling over who's going to go where. And Abraham says, fine, listen, Lot, you go ahead and take the best. I'm just going to walk with my friend. And the Bible says to Abraham, God says to Abraham, wherever the sole of your feet will tread, I'm going to give that land to you. So 400 and some years earlier, now listen to me, seasons, 400 and some years earlier, a man by the name of Abraham and Sarah and their flocks and their sheep and all the goats and all had walked through the land that Israel's about to take over. 400 and some years earlier. And then they go into captivity. The Bible says that they, they multiplied and grew and there, there came a leader that didn't know Joseph. And the leader says, this is ridiculous. We're going to be taken over. He begins to put them into bondage and captivity and oppression. And pretty soon their cries begin to be heard. Here's the first clue that their cries were heard. In a culture, in Egyptian culture, that, that, see if this doesn't fit. In an Egyptian culture where they were worried that Israel was expanding and multiplying too fast, their first idea to fix it was abortion. That's what he said. The Bible says, listen, let's stop them. Let's just cut cut this off. If these Hebrew women keep having kids, we're going to be in trouble. And so let's just stop it. Let's get our midwives in there and let's make sure that as soon as that baby's born, we take their life. But God was speaking. And it start, comes back to Pharaoh, we got a problem. He says, what is it? These, Israel, these Israeli ladies, man, they go into labor and the kid drops out. And it's happening so fast we can't keep up with it. There was a reason it was happening so fast. Because in one home, there was a beautiful baby boy that was born. And he's hidden away for 40 years. He comes and he's, we find him come on the scene. He's 40 years of age. And what does he do? He sees the bondage and the cries of Israel all around him. Now catch this. He takes matters into his own hands. And the Bible says he kills an Egyptian gets so frustrated, he just kills the guy. So then he says to the rest of them, hey, let's go on. Let's, let's, 
Let's get out of here. And they said, what, you're going to kill us like you killed the Egyptian? And fear enters into the heart of Moses and he disappears for 40 years. So now we've got an 80-year period of time. But he runs into this bush and God speaks. God speaks. And it's not a matter of the age. It's when God speaks. And God speaks and says, Moses, here's the plan. Now go down and do it. And then he utters these words to Moses. He says, Moses, now therefore, behold, I've heard the cry of the Egyptians. God is never in a hurry. And to rush his plan is to create a disaster in your life. It can be a killer. God hears your cry the first time and has already set in order your deliverance. Now, I want, I want to speak a word into your heart as a pastor. This is, no, no, this is not meant to be critical or negative. This is meant to encourage you. Do you think that God was surprised or caught off guard by the last two or three years on the north side? Uh-uh. Before you even formed a church nine years ago, God already had a plan in place. You've got to wrap that around your arm, around your head, around your heart, around your legs, because it's going to keep you. It's going to be your armor that God is never caught by surprise. And God's seasons, He finally says, okay, it's the season, now therefore I've heard their cry. We're getting them out. There have been people that are sitting in this room today. You have interceded for years before there ever was a family Bible church, before there was a true life. You were involved in intercession. Do you think that God has not heard your cry? Plans are already in process for the answering of your prayer. So they get up and they begin to move. Now, survival tools. Go to Joshua chapter 3, verse 4. Because how many of you know you're going to run into a wilderness? Joshua chapter 3, verse 4. Holy Spirit really wants to get this word into your heart today before we call it a day. Joshua chapter 3 verse 4 it says this. Oh, that's Judges. You don't want Judges. You want Joshua. Judges is rough. When everybody does what's in their right in their own eyes. Judges is just a mess. Joshua 3 4. God's given instructions and He says, Yet there shall be a space between you and it, speaking of the Ark of the Covenant about 2,000 cubits by measure, do not come near it, that you may know the way by which you must go, for you have not passed this way before. One thing I guarantee you about the leadership of your church, and you need to, you're going to hear a lot about this next week, I believe in explicit obedience. When God says something, we do it. Even at the risk of being foolish or seeming, I mean, look like we're foolish. Because here's the deal. If you don't follow God's presence, you'll get the idea that everything God does is, is easy to figure out. Let me tell you something. He's going to take you in ways you've never been before. He's going to do things in ways that's never been done before. And the church of Jesus Christ that figures it out right now in the Western church in America, that figures out that God is not set in stone of us doing church a certain way, is the church that's going to go, you know what, we're following God because we've never been this way before, but we're attached to His presence. Now, there's, here's the survival tools that you will need. Hopefully you've had already. You need continued revelation of the person who called you into this journey. 
I am amazed at people who have an experience with God but don't keep their revelation of God in their heart hot. You need a continued revelation. You need to understand that the promise that God has given you is wilderness proof. It's wilderness. Can you can, you got to get this in mind? Numbers tells us in chapters 11, 12, 13, 14, tells us the story of Joshua and Caleb. They go into the land with the spies, 12 spies. Moses sends them out. This is after they've only journeyed in the wilderness about a year and a half. They go in and they, 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 in, in, they come back and it hasn't even been that long. And they come back and Moses says, what's the report, guys? And, Josh, and the ten spies say, man, there's giants. It's a horrible thing. I just think we just need to camp here for a while and maybe vote on this. There's two guys in the back going, excuse me. Yes, Joshua, Caleb, what's up? Well, you know, we had a different view of things. There are grapes the size of basketballs. We dipped our feet in streams that when we pulled them out, we wanted to suck on our toes because there was honey in that stream. I'm telling you, there is views. Uh, in fact, Caleb goes, you know, I found a place that's kind of a mountainous region. I'm going to build me a house. It's incredible. Moses goes, well, what about the giants? <laughs> giants? <laughs> What's a few giants? I think the Holy Spirit was already tweaking Joshua's heart. If God is for us, who can be against us? Giants? But because the Bible says of unbelief, they wondered 38 more years. What happened to the promise? It's wilderness proof. God lets a whole... Now, now this is something that freaks me out. God lets a whole generation die out in order for His promises to come. Let me tell you something. There is an explosion coming into the church in the next few months and years that is going to shock the world and the nations, not just in America, but around the world, because a generation of church doers is going to die off and a generation of God followers is going to rise up and there's going to be revival, there's going to be things that are going to happen that are going to freak the religious community out. It's already started. What's happening? God is letting a generation of church people die off. And raising up a generation of God followers. There's a big difference. Church people don't do well with pressure. I never go to battle against Satan with church people. Well, the music ain't right. Sister McGillicuddy stole my chicken leg at the buffet. And that last potluck, did you see the dress she had on? Oh, my word. You know, everything that you, I mean, I'm telling you, you know, it's, boy, did you see that? You know, and here's the deal, complaining. Church people complain. God followers say, well, yeah, it's a little messy in here, but God's for us. Who can be against us? Let's see what we can do. And so here they are, and this, this survival tool is the promise is wilderness proof. He doesn't say what he doesn't mean. How many of you have had a direct word from God to your heart? He wasn't stuttering when he said it, friends. He wasn't going, ooh, I'm, take it back, I was joking. He means what he says. Reliance on his power will bring you out in joy. Know that His plan is set in eternity. God, now check this out. God finishes things first in the unseen and then brings it to pass in the seen. That's why He told you, friends, we walk by faith and not by sight. Why? Because if we walk by sight, we will miss that He is fixing things in the unseen, getting us ready for what He's about to reveal. When we, get, when we lay the vision on you next, next, next week, and you need to know it's costly, <laughs> and
And I'm not talking money either. But here's the deal. I guarantee you that the Holy Spirit will begin to engulf this house because there's something in the heart of God that has been working in the unseen on both campuses. And He's about to bring what is unseen out into the open. I get a little irritated with God sometimes, to be honest with you, about this unseen stuff because I'm kind of a seen guy. Show me, God, okay? Can you just give me some evidence that I'm not hearing voices? God says, no, you walk. Wherever your foot treads, I'm going to give to you. But just keep walking. Don't sit down. Keep walking. Purpose reminders. You must be confident that you are not a mistake. Forty years in that wilderness, Joshua and Caleb had to be going, God, what? I can relate to these guys, trust me. And they're going, God, you know, I mean, you, you coming down on Mount Sinai, that is a kick. Let me tell you, God, that is cool. Keep it up. We really like it when you come into the tent of congregation, meeting a congregation. People are falling all over. That's cool. But this wilderness trek with those griping maniacal, narcissistic, nut job of a congregation you gave us to pastor. God, what are you doing? God says, listen guys, I'm setting you up for the big finale. Nobody's going to believe that you're going to tear down Jericho with this bunch, but you will. Frustration comes when you try to bring to pass what he has purposed and planned. I'm learning I can't force an issue in the spirit. I have to let God bring it to pass. The the scripture God gave me when he called me as a young man into the ministry and I'd argued and argued because I was raised around preachers and all I wanted to do is play football. I didn't want none of this nonsense of messing with sheep because I knew that sheep bite. Sheep are messy, they wander off, they get tangled in barbed wire, they eat the wrong grass, they get bloated. They, a cast sheep is nothing more than a sheep that ate the wrong grass, got, got gas and fell over and can't get back up and he dies. He suffocates in his own gas. That's a nasty way to go. That's ugly. And I remember God gave me the scripture out of 1 Thessalonians 5.23, Faithful is he who has called you, and he will bring it to pass. You've got to understand something. Don't force God's purpose and plan. Let him bring it to pass. Your job is to say, I'm available. I'm still walking here, God. You, here's the deal. Most of us stop to wait for God to fix things instead of keeping walking and possessing more land while we're waiting for Him to fix things. God wants to help you to learn in the Spirit to multitask. Wait for the plan while you're taking more land. Now hear this. You need to be reminded that you were created to accomplish something that no one else can accomplish. And then let a Caleb spirit rise up in you and don't believe the, the lie of your condition. One of the things that God's going to do in the church, and you've been hearing us sing this song for the last two or three weeks, that He loves us. There is a new wave of love coming to the church that is going to shock you that God not only loves you, but He loves this world so incredibly much. And He wants to save people that we would absolutely think there is no way they should be getting saved. But you've got to understand, God doesn't listen to the lies of your condition either. He sees you just the way you are. He checks the movements of your heart. He hears your cry. And He saves us at the point of our need. We allow our condition to always keep us from the promises of God. We need to move away from that. Now, it's going to get better here. The wilderness happens. How many of you know that wilderness things happen? 
Let me just quickly touch on the wilderness and we're going to get to some really good stuff. The wilderness is a picture of our struggle in a fallen world on our way to all that God has planned for us. I'm going to tell you something that if you're a believer, you're going to go through some rough times. I got to a point in ministry that we changed it on the south side that when we when we made a call for salvation and in a public place, we never, ever let it come from our lips that come to Jesus and your life's going to be just happy go lucky. We told them the truth. You're lost. You need Jesus. Come to Jesus. Start a journey. And by the way, the journey's going to be great and terrible all in the same day. You're going to have great times and then you're going to have terrible times. But the deal is your journey has changed because you're no longer going on the journey alone. But you're going with the one who said, I'm never going to leave you. I'm never going to forsake you. No time are you going to be alone, but I'm going to walk with you through the whole journey. Now, you need to understand the wilderness is a time. It's a picture of our struggle. The wilderness is a time of intense testing. Luke chapter 4, verse 1, it says, Then Jesus, being filled with the Holy Spirit, returned from the Jordan and was led by the Spirit into the wilderness. I read this and I think, I'm in big trouble. Because here's the Son of God, the Lord Jesus Christ, who is filled with the Holy Spirit, now being led into the Spirit in the wilderness. And you know the story. Satan comes and tempts him three times. He comes out of the wilderness, and he comes out of the wilderness going right in to miraculous power. So it's a difficult, difficult time of intense testing. I can tell you, and I'm being, I'm, I'm just, I'm trying to be as transparent with our churches as, as absolutely humanly possible. I can tell you that we're at the edge of a breakthrough. <laughs> I'm not sleeping. There's an intense battle going on in the heavenlies. Elizabeth isn't sleeping too well. The intercessors look like a wreck on both sides of the river. They're messed up. Why? Because there's an intense time of testing right now. But let me tell you something. When we step out of the wilderness into the promise, the devil had better have all his P's and Q's in order. Now, The wilderness speaks of a time of failure, the time when sin and flesh wage war against each other. Romans 8, 7 says, Because the carnal mind is an ending to God, it is not subject to the law of God, nor can it be. It means that there's a constant war between your mind and the promises of God. There's a constant war between your flesh and what the Spirit of God. That, some of you think, well, just, I just don't, I'm not doing... You need to look at any point of struggle you have as a badge of honor that God has something great for you and the enemy has decided to just jack your flesh up and start revving it up to fight against the promises of God. And you need to look at all temptation, all failure, all everything as nothing more than the enemy is afraid that if you let Jesus stand up on the inside of you and become the warrior in you that He wants to be, that He is in trouble, so He starts fighting you and He'll use your own flesh against you. Quit looking at it as a bad thing, friends, and start looking as, you know what, I'm going to repent of this thing and confess this thing and get it out, even if it takes a thousand times, because there must be something good on the other side that the devil doesn't want me to get out. Quit quit going around wearing a badge of defeat and start wearing the banner of God over you. The Bible says His banner over us is love. Now, The wilderness can be a season of spiritual warfare against Satan. You go through these times when the enemy is just fighting you at every... You know, this is going to sound funny. So so just, I'm not a super... I'm the least superstitious guy in the world. You know, I know people that they have spiritual answers for everything. I have spiritual answers for nothing. Okay? 
to me, it's just, I'm, I'm Vulcan. It's just, everything's logical. <laughs> but I can tell you, when we're about near a breakthrough with the spiritual struggles that start happening, are you ready for this? You want the key to us? Our, if you ever hear that our appliances are breaking down, you know that God's about to send a move of His Spirit. I hate mechanical things. When I get in a car and I turn the key, that sucker had better start. Or it's off to the junk pot. Because I, I just, to me, turn on the computer, that thing had better work. Or I'll take a ball-peen hand or two. Because it was made to work for me, not me work for it. So I can always tell, because how many of you have heard, you know, the, the devils and the details? And my grandma used to... I, you know, I remember when I was a kid, This not that old, but let me tell you something. I remember when the wash machine was a deal one, it had two rollers and they'd run the clothes through. Okay, okay. So I remember one time my grandma didn't let go of a pair of pants and it ran her arm in there and broke it. That was cool. Uh, but <laughs> interesting to say the least. Help! <laughs> you know, and so Grandpa kind of laughed. I don't know why he did that. But... Um, but I could, she, she could always tell when God was about to do something or there was something on the horizon because her appliances would start to break. And yet she'd do. That means we wouldn't see her for a couple of days. All it takes, took is a, a wash machine not working and to the back bedroom she'd go. So she was in the back bedroom a lot in my teenage years. There was a lot of broken appliances. Why? There's a struggle going on in the wilderness. The enemy will engage you at every turn. Did you know that the devil so engaged the Israelites that by the time David became king of Israel, God had not forgotten their, their struggle against the enemy. Remember his command to Saul to kill all the Amalekites? Do you know why he wanted them wiped out? It was because when the Israelites were in the wilderness, they attacked, the Amalekites attacked from the rear where the women and children were. And so when Saul becomes king of Israel and God says, I, your first order of business, buddy, is to deal with this. And they didn't, he didn't deal with it. David took care of business. And David understood what it meant to war against the devil. The last thing, the wilderness is a place of encounter with God. Are you having a journey or are you having wanderings? <laughs> God took them through the wilderness to avoid war, yet in their wanderings they seem to have created a war within themselves. The wilderness will reveal, now check this out, Exodus 16, 2 and verse 7. The wilderness will reveal the grumblings within you. That's another clue that you're in the wilderness if you start griping. You know, the dog and the cat hide when you come home, you know. The kids go, oh, we're going outside to play now. And, you know, if there's a lot of grumbling going on, you may be in the wilderness. But the wilderness is there to take the grumblings out of you. <laughs> I hate that part. Now... Wanderings. Here's how you know whether you're on a journey or you're wandering. Wanderings are delays that we create. We can create them through sin, through all kinds of things. Wanderings are caused by unbelief. Hebrews chapter 3 and verse 19. Wanderings are caused... I want, I want to read this to you because I want you to hear it. I don't hear pages turning and I'm freaking out. Okay? Just rattle something. There you go. Thank you. Hebrews 3.19, so we see, talk, speaking of Israel, that they could not enter in because of unbelief. Wanderings keep you, unbelief keeps you from going in to what God has promised for you. How many of you know that God is not a liar? He doesn't lie. He doesn't mess with your brain. 
He simply speaks truth. And unbelief keeps you from moving into the truth that He's spoken. Those of you who are, at the, who are around at the inception of the Northside Church, when it first started, you need to understand, God wasn't just gurgling in His mouth when He made promises to the church, but unbelief will keep you from moving into those promises. Now, wanderings are because we do not mix the word with faith. Hebrews 4.2 says, For indeed the gospel was preached to us as well as to them, but the word which they heard did not profit them, not being mixed with faith in those who heard it. When you read the word, you've got to believe it. And not only believe it, you, faith means I'm acting on what I have heard. Some of you, let me give you a great illustration. Bob Buncher here is a, a praying-aholic. He likes to pray for the sick. So I watch, I wanted to watch his technique. Good grief, he has no technique. He reads some scripture, anoints them with oil and prays. Why does he do that? Because he believes that if he prays for the sick, they'll be healed. Now, here's the crazy thing about church people. How many of you believe that God can heal the sick? Well, Sally Joe is sick over there. What are we going to do? I don't know. We better call Bob. Get Doreen over there. Get Susan out there because, you know what? I think they'd applaud what I'm about to say. If you believe that God can heal the sick, then for crying out loud, grab the Crisco, anoint them with oil, and pray the prayer of faith, and let God heal the sick. You hearing what I'm saying? If faith is nothing more than saying, God, you said it, so I'll do it. Real tough things to figure out, isn't it? But I'm like you. It's like, have Elizabeth pray for you. I don't know. Hebrews 4.3, wanderings result, result in weariness and unrest of not entering into prearranged destinies. Look at this, it says, For we who have believed do enter that rest, as he said, So I swore in them my wrath, they shall not enter my rest, although the works were finished. Now look at this, from the foundation of the world. Next Sunday, when we lay out the vision that God has given us, and most of you are going to stand and applaud when you hear it, because it's really cool. There's two parts to it. And it's really cool. Second part's rough, but it's really cool. Here's the deal. God's already got the, it finished. You know what, Sherry? God's already got it finished for you guys. It is amazing how God already has, from the foundation of the world, He had it already done. Now, I want, to jump, I want you to jump ahead. Leaving the wilderness. Go to the slide that says leaving the wilderness. I want, you to, I, I want you to grab onto this. Here's the first and most important point about leaving the wilderness. The most important thing. Oh, nope. Leaving the wilderness. The most important. There you go. Isn't that cool how that does that? I'm just amazed. The most important thing about us is that we are still here. <laughs> oh, you don't get it, do you? I can tell some of you weren't fighters growing up. It wasn't that I was necessarily the toughest kid on the block. Maybe the meanest, but not the toughest. But here was the deal that had been drilled into me from my heritage. Not necessarily cool, but it was drilled into me. If you start a fight, son, finish it. You don't win the fight if you leave. You know, you don't get it. You don't win if you leave. 
Those of you that have stayed, there's a party coming. And there's going to be the ability to say, (laughs) you cannot believe what has happened to our church. Man, I went there last week, and I'm telling you, people are getting healed. The craziest people are getting saved. Demons are being cast out. They've started a prayer center. They've started all this stuff. It's gone bananas. You can't believe, oh, really? That place is doing that? See, they leave. And the most incredible thing is we're still here and we get to see what it is that God's going to do and what the finished product is going to look like. See, see, people that get in a fight and run should rightly be called chickens. I taught my girls, nobody messes with my three da- our three daughters. Because they were taught, if you start it, you finish it. That applies in the church. Paul comes to the end of his life. He says, I have run my race. I have finished my course. He says, if you get in a fight, don't do it as people beating the air. But punch something. Most important thing, I, 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 I see, and this is what's going to be, you've you got to understand, on the south side, we've been through the wars too. And there's just about, at once a month, we look at each other and say, we're still here. And people have been added to our ranks. People have been saved, filled with the Holy Spirit and changed. We're still here. Hey, devil, you took everything with us, from us, and we're still here. You beat us up, we're still here. And by the way, sucker, we're getting up again. And you will deal with the church of Jesus Christ. You will deal with the bride. You will deal with the one who Jesus purchased with His own blood. We might be down, but we're still here. And we will track you down because the Bible says the gates of hell shall not prevail against the church. Gates have never chased anybody. It's us kicking the gates in. So the most important thing is we're still here. And we have a new identity. Song of Solomon, chapter 8, verse 5. My favorite scripture in all of Song of Solomon. And I got tons of them in there. But this one, I love it. This is a Steve verse. Who is this coming up out of the wilderness, leaning on her beloved? I can't wait. I can't wait. Because you've got to understand, I hang out with pastors sometime, and I hear their, you know, this thing's bad, that thing. Oh, you, you know, you need to watch that IHOP bunch. You know, it's like, I listen to no one. It gets me in trouble. But I had an 80-year-old man take me by the hand last week. He says, son, you're on your way to your destiny. Here's the deal. People are going to look at our church and say, where did that place come from? And they're kind of leaning funny. They're they're leaning into manifestations of the Holy Spirit. They're leaning into miraculous salvations. They're leaning into healings. They're leaning into things that we never thought was... Have you been to their worship? Those are a bunch of leaners. They come up out of the wilderness leaning on their... See, we forgot the songs of our ancestors. What do you mean? Don't you remember? Leaning, leaning, safe and secure. Remember that? We need to get back to it, friends. Who is this? It's, it, who's leaning? It's us. We've been in the wilderness, and while we were out there, we found him. <laughs> and we are in love with him. <laughs> and we're going to lean on him. He's so, you know what he spoke to me in the wilderness? You can't believe what he told me in the wilderness. You will come out with power. Jesus came out with power. And you will come out to your pre-arranged destiny. Last slide. Where is, is, do I have Angel? She was busily taking notes. Very good. <laughs> First Corinthians 2.9. Where we started.
I want you to do what I've done in my Bible. If you write in your Bible, I go through. I, to me, Bibles were meant to be written into. into and So I, I go through a Bible about once every six months till the pages fall out. I love the Word. The Word sustains. The Word keeps. I, I write my Bible proper receiving equipment to receive the promises of God to come out of the wilderness in power you have to have the proper receiving equipment so you got to have eyes says eyes has not seen I has you got to have eyes that look with faith at every possibility that even in the darkest dingiest time in your life have an eye to look that just over the next turn there is hope you start looking for the miracle you start getting up in the morning going out looking for the manna you start looking for the water. You start looking, standing at the biggest sea of your life. You start waiting and you look to see the littlest movement of the waters getting ready to part. You have eyes that look to the promise. You look at your marriage, you look at your kids, and you don't give up hope, but you look to see, God, is, is that movement? And then it says, ear has not heard. Next Sunday morning, I'm just going to give you a little clue. We're going to close the service next Sunday morning talking about the dancing God. He dances over us and when He does, He speaks words to our heart. And most of us are so busy listening to this person, that person. Have you heard so and so on? I don't know. But I'm trying to tune my ear to hear what it is the Spirit's saying. Proper receiving equipment is to hear the voice of God speaking to you in the depth of your spirit so that you can be like Paul and you can say, I know in whom I have believed that He is able. Then it says you have to have a heart, nor have entered into the heart of man. You can't know your heart, friends, because the Bible says your heart is deceitful and wicked. But there's a cool thing. It says the Spirit of God searches the mind and the heart. About the time you've given up on your heart, God pops in and says, Oh, by the way, beloved, Hephzibah, my delight is in you. I've seen your heart. I'm going to tell you something. In the days of my darkest failures in life, when I just can't think I can go another step, the Holy Spirit will come. He'll say, Son, just want you to know I'm in love with you. I delight in you. In your weakness, I'm delighting in you. I want you to know this week there's going to be an anointing on this church this week. You're going to go through this week and you're going to be thinking about next Sunday. You're going to start see This week you're going to start seeing people different. You're going to start seeing your husband, your wife different. You're going to start seeing your kids. Something is transpiring in the spirit world right now. I'm going to take the time because we've got great worship leaders on the other side, on the other campus. I'm going to take the time to tell you a story very precious story to me because I sat with the author of this story in year 2000 at his home just outside of Buenos Aires, Argentina. He was the father of the Argentine revival. His name was Edward Miller. Edward Miller had taken me into his home and we stayed there and I spent a couple weeks there and seen the miraculous, you know, uh, one, one of the most incredible things, the revival that was going on still to this day is rumbling in Argentina and, and, and you know they took us to, to a church in downtown Buenos Aires where as I sit Claudio Friesen's church and we're sitting there and we, we'd had a chance to be with him and, and we, we, we were sitting there in the middle of worship I heard this screaming and a lady had come in totally deaf into their worship service and instantaneous I've seen that with my own eyes I've watched it but as I, 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 I know this story 
he wrote this allegory and put it in a little book and it's, it's, I have it in my library and I pull it out and read it every once in a while because it's kind of applicable. The story goes like this. There was these three old hags. They were dirty, nasty old hags eating out of the garbage. Ugly, smelly, stinky. One day, this procession rolled through and there was a prince on back of it and they rode through and a piece of paper fell out. They saw the piece of paper fall out and after the procession had gone by, they all ran over and they said, what? Did you see that? There was a paper that came out. Yeah, I saw it. They unfolded the paper and it says, to the bearer of this, I, the prince, will give you whatever your heart's desire. One hag looked at the other and said, do you think it's true? Well, I think we should go find out. So they started to journey. And they journeyed and journeyed and journeyed till one day they came to this beautiful road that was lined with trees. And they saw the palace. They went to the palace door and they knocked on the door and the guy opened the door and said, Whoa, who are you guys? Well, we're hags. But we have this note. You can't come in here. He says, You stink. You can't come in here. He said, Yeah, but we have this note. And it's signed by the prince, by the king's son. It's signed by him. I said, Give me the note. He read it and he goes, Oh, no. You'll have to come in. He says, before you get very farther, there's a fountain right here. We want you to bathe in this fountain. We want you to get clean. See, there is a fountain filled with blood, friends, that cleanses us. They got all cleaned up and they were no longer old haggish looking. They were looking pretty good. And so they, they, brought, they brought these three old hags into the, into the king's chamber. And here sits the king's son and here sits the king. The guy says, oh king, live forever. We found this note with these three hags. He says, let me see it. He read it. He looks over to his son. He says, son, did you? He says, yes, father, and I'll honor it. I mean, if you know, he honors his word. The king says, hag number one, what do you want? She says, oh, I'll tell you what I want. I want lots of jewelry. He says, you got it. He says, you go with this man. He will give you all the jewelry that you need, all the, all the gold, everything that you need for the rest of your life. Go. Hag number two, what is it you want? He says, I want the hugest house you got. She says, that's what you want? She says, yep. He says, follow this man. He'll give it to you. Hag number three, what do you want? She says, I'll tell you what I want. I want him. He says, you pointing to my son? Yeah, I want him. says, you want my son? Yeah. I love him. I want him. He says, okay. Follow this guy out and we'll start arranging the wedding. He says, wow, that was easy. He says, oh no. Follow him. Edward Miller tells the story of where she follows the guy out and they begin to he says, he puts her on a horse and she begins to travel. He says, you're going to have to do some journeying to get ready. And he lets her loose in this wilderness and she travels and travels and travels and, and she's looking now for the king's son and, and the story goes that she begins to need water and her horse dies and pretty soon she's crawling through the desert, through the wilderness. And she began to see this whirlwind in front of her and she crawls to the whirlwind and the whirlwind speaks to her and says, what do you want? She says, I want the king's son. Is that what you want? I want 
the king's son. The voice says, but you're dying. Sure you don't want anything else? I want the king's son. Story goes that she died. And as her body lay in the wilderness, up over the sand dune, on a white horse, comes the king's son. And he bends over her broken, bruised body. And the whirlwind is still there, and he's looking at her, and he says, Whirlwind, what were her last words? Warren said this was her last words my Jesus I love thee and I know thou art mine and if ever I've loved you it's now she died and Edward tells a story how the prince leans over her and he kisses her on the mouth and breathes the breath of life into her You see, the church, friends, is so caught up. We want the big building. We want the big salaries. We want all the fancy equipment. And the king is looking for a bride who will simply say, I want him. And I will die trying to get him. And when that bubbles up in the heart of a church, resurrection power begins to occur. Let me tell you, there's coming a day that it's not just going to be a song, but God is going to kiss the church with the biggest, sloppiest, wettest kiss you've ever seen. And resurrection power is going to surge. I want you to stand and I just want you to put your hands in the air just like an antenna with proper receiving equipment.